The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our Old Testament reading this morning is uh, in Amos as we continue our trek through the book of Amos. It's in chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary. It is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock. And the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people, Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city. And your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword. And your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. And you yourself shall die in an unclean land. And Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. God, we thank you for your word. The story of your grace. Your phone rings. You don't recognize the number. What do you do? Normally ignore it, maybe. Or perhaps you you waffle if you should pick it up. Maybe it's someone in need. Maybe it's a work emergency. Maybe someone you love got a new phone number. You pick it up and what do you hear? I'm calling you to let you know your car warranty has expired. Can I interest you in a new one? Scams. Telemarketers. We do not care about the message. right? Even if it wasn't a scam. We think, go find another job, please. Stop calling my number. I realized on a recent call like this that the person doing the call, the messenger, was a real person. And I realized that in some ways, because I really didn't care about the message that they had to say to me, I just didn't care about the messenger either. And this clearly came across in my tone and how quickly I tried to get out of the call or perhaps had some fun with the call. It always leaves me wondering, who is sending this messenger? Who is behind this constant message? They even mail me now about car warranty things. I don't, I don't get it. But whoever it is, I realize I don't really care about them. I don't care about the message, the messenger, and therefore I don't really care about the one who sent me the message. If you hate the message, if you despise the messenger, that can only mean you hate or worse, don't care about the one who sent the message. Our passage deals with this right on the nose today. Do we hate some of God's message, his word to us? Consider any and all of the areas of God's word which offends you, where you say, no, it can't mean that. Do we despise the messenger who delivers the message from God's word? I don't think pastor taught that passage very well today. I don't know if I want to sit under this pastor's teaching. These types of responses often show more about what we think about the one who sent the message in the messenger than they do about the message 
or the messenger themselves. Our passage teaches us this. The Lord gives us the word we need. The Lord gives us the word we need. And we, we must open ourselves up to that message, to that messenger. It's kind of the big idea for us today. The first thing we focus in on is this, and you'll see it, uh, I think, written in your worship guide. It's that the Lord gives the word we need. How? He speaks it. The Lord speaks the word we need, and we must open our hearts to that message. Now, we've been going through Amos, right, for a few months, and it's been a message of what? Repent of trampling the needy. Repent of your false religiosity and your, div- and your divided worship, and return. Believe upon the Lord. It's a a message we heard actually summarized in verse 9 of last week, which warned, it said, if you don't turn back, Israel will be laid waste. The king and his family, everyone gone. And you can see that this is actually what Amaziah is summarizing. If you look at verse 11, it's an itty-bitty summary of that message, very specific to Jeroboam as well. And let's be honest, this is not an easy message to hear. Hey, everything you're doing is for yourself and not for God. God hates it. He hates everything you're doing. Stop it. Stop it or go and die in exile. But you can come back. You can come back. That's the message in Amos. And if we're honest, Amos isn't going to sell many t-shirts or books with this message, right? They don't find this at the Christian bookstore. Who is Amaziah, though? Who's this person that shows up, this individual in the story? Well, Amaziah is likely the chief or the high priest for the king of Israel, Jeroboam. What is a priest? We throw this word around. What is a priest? A priest's role is to be the mediator. He's the go-between between God and man. He's representing man before God. And for Israel specifically, priests had a special authority. They were to conduct rituals and sacrifices necessary to cover people's sin, but also to satisfy God's righteous wrath over sin. And notice this. This was Amaziah's chief responsibility to do this, okay? And notably, he was in Bethel. If you remember, Bethel is the—it's one of the two places where the false religious was happening. It was the more important of the two. Amaziah is just about the most important person in Israel after Jeroboam. But what are Amaziah's concerns? Look at verse 10. King Jeroboam, King Jeroboam, Amos is starting a coup against you. He's trying to take over the land, the people. They're all stirred up. They can't bear his message. And in verse 13, Amos, uh, Amaziah turns to Amos and he says what? Don't prophesy here again. This is the sanctuary of the king. This is the temple of the kingdom. Right? Amaziah, we see Amaziah is a priest of the state, of an earthly king of an earthly kingdom, but not not of the Lord or of the heavenly kingdom. And so the Lord in verse 16, in essence, says this, I heard what you meant, Amaziah. I heard what you meant. You said, say whatever you want. Just don't prophesy against Israel. Just don't preach against Isaac's descendants, the Israelite people. And the Lord shows in verse 17, in essence, this, with the severity of the response. He says, when you reject or stop my message, You reject me and all that I've promised for you. That's what the Lord is saying there. Let me ask, when your favorite song comes on, or perhaps your favorite podcast or radio program, what do you do? You turn it up, right? 
This morning, I had the privilege of hearing uh, Casey and John tickle the keys over here with some pretty songs. And I wanted them to continue playing, right? We want to hear more of that song. Or perhaps of that, of that podcast, we go, hmm, when we hear that impactful truth, right? Spiritual yummies, that's going to be called. What about a, a song you hate? Right? We, we change the radio station. We go to another playlist. We don't listen to the podcasts or radio programs we can't stand. And if we were even offered to meet perhaps those musicians, those podcasters, radio broadcasters, meh, right? I don't care to meet that person. I have better things to do. What we see is that if we don't care about the message at all, right, we don't care about the one who sent it, the broadcaster. When we hear the message or tune from Scripture of free grace and salvation for all who believe in Jesus Christ, what do we do? Oh, yeah, turn that song up, right? Shh, 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 be quiet. We want that message of profound grace, profound hope, perfect love, and, and we are created to. We're literally fashioned to long for that message. But what about when it's a message or tune of repent or change your life? Guys, I'm kind of sick of this station. Let's, let's change it or just turn it off. Let's take a break. Let's take a break from the radio, guys. Amaziah is not pulling any punches, right? He says, I hate this song. This song is ruining the nation and in turn is ruining my occupation as a priest. My daily bread is in jeopardy. Where, where, saints, does God call you to conform your life to his word that you don't like? What do you find most offensive in God's word? I'd venture to say that it is whatever message you read or hear from scripture and you think, no, it can't mean that. That feels so wrong. How could God call me to do, to think, to feel something that I, or more likely the culture has shaped me to, find so repulsive? Friends, can God tell you that you need to love him more than your favorite hobby? And you need to show that. Can he tell you that without you turning off the station? Can God tell you that you need to stop watching an endless amount of entertainment or crude or questionable humor without you turning off the station? Husbands, can God tell you that you need to care about your wife's concerns the same way you care about your own? About her the same way you do about your body? Children, can you be called, well, that's all of us, can you be called to submit to your parents? without turning that station. Wives to your husbands, us in the church to our pastors and elders, all of us to a government, especially when we disagree, as long as they're not calling us to sin. Or do we turn that station? I don't want to hear it. When we hear a message that offends us, that feels wrong, we need to do the unnatural thing. We actually need to open our hearts further. We need to turn up the song more. Because it's likely that the pressing of that message, which causes that sting of offense, ouch, it's actually precisely where that infection is, right? We must ask, why am I offended? Why am I offended? What is threatening in me? What area of my life does God want to bring under submission that isn't? Friends, the Lord loves us so much, even in his warnings, even in giving us messages that we don't want to hear. And by God's grace, we must open our hearts knowing that God's promises, right? All those things, that station we want to listen to, all of it's wrapped up, even in the warnings. 
So by God's grace, we must ask God, would you help us to open our hearts to the message that stings, that I don't want to hear? Well, the Lord not only speaks the word to us that we need, but he also sends the prophet, the the messenger that we need to hear it from. And we must, we must open our ears then to that messenger. See, Amaziah wanted to cover not only his own ears, right? He was earmuffing himself, but he also was trying to cover the ears of the entire nation. We see that because Amaziah doesn't take the Lord seriously, he certainly isn't going to take the messenger seriously. Remember, when we look at verse 10 and 11, what is Amaziah trying to do there? He's trying to rile up the state. King Jeroboam, you've seen coups before, right? You know what happens to the king, to the family, to the people, right, Jeroboam? Amaziah wants the king to be so incited that he brings the full force of the state, the government, down upon Amos's head. This is a classic move, right, for thousands of years. Get the king to destroy the believers, right? This, is, this has happened for thousands of years. But verses, in verses 12 and 13, excuse me, Amaziah enacts his second strategy to stop the messenger. Amaziah says to Amos, seer, which is another word for a prophet or a way in which the prophet received the word. He says, okay, okay, Amos, maybe you're a prophet. You have your truth. You have your job, right, as a prophet. Just don't do it here. Go work in Judah. Earn your daily bread there. That line of eat bread there signifies that Amaziah just believes Amos is a prophet. It's a job. It's a profession. It reveals how Amaziah sees his role as a priest. Not a divinely instructed call, but a profession where he gets to earn his daily bread. It's clear that Amaziah does not take seriously God. And it's shown in how he treats the messenger, right? How someone treats the messenger is how they are treating God. And who is this messenger here? Amos, look at his response in verse 14. I paraphrase. He says this, I'm no professional, and this isn't a family business. Amos already had a job, actually two. He was breeding livestock, and he was cultivating sycamore fig trees. And in verse 15, Amos says, God took me, grabbed me. This word took actually signifies both strength and surprise. Amos wasn't expecting this. No one probably was. But God picks him up and says, you're going to say this, and you're going to say it to those people, right? This call for Amos is not to a general Judah, Israel, to a land. No, it's to a living and breathing people. That's what God calls Amos to. And Amaziah is trying to silence Amos and the severe and righteous and gracious warning that is coming from the Lord. At the, uh, at the start of the Reformation in the 16th century, there was much tension between Catholics and Protestants, if you know much of what was going on there. One example of this is when a King Ferdinand, he, he came to power and he sought to limit the Protestants' freedoms. And so he sent these four Catholic nobles off to meet with these Protestants in Prague at the Prague Castle. And as the tensions arose, the, the Protestants decided to do something so noble uh, as to toss the two most hardline Catholics and their secretary out the third-story window. Don't worry, it was only a 70-foot drop. But thankfully, all three did survive. I'm not being trite for no reason. They, they did survive. It's not okay. But whether those Catholic messengers were right or wrong, there's no mistaking the Protestants' intentions with them, right? We hate you, king. How you treat a messenger communicates what you think of the one 
who sent the message and the messenger. At times, when we don't like the message, we don't always just cover our ears, right? We don't always just turn down the station, but instead we go on the offensive. I'm more of an offensive, aggressive type of person, people might tell you, or you may have learned about me, but we try to do what? To throw the messenger out the window. We do it too. When our pastor preaches what we don't like to hear, we don't only say, no, it can't mean that, but we may also fill his inbox with some complaints. Pastor, I'm not sure you handled that so well. I thought you were maybe a little bit close-minded on that last point, right? Maybe you should go back and study some more, pastor. Or instead, we look for another messenger. I found a YouTube teacher. I found a podcaster, and they told me I don't have to listen to you. Please, pastor, go preach in Appleton, just not Green Bay. Perhaps we get so fed up that we just leave the church altogether because we can't find someone, a messenger, to tell us the message we want to hear. Now, I'm not vouching for every church, every pastor, every message they preach, and I'm not pressing on areas of legitimate concern, or legitimate difference, rather, in Scripture, but rather on how we are so likely to attack God-ordained messengers that he gives to us, just because we don't like the message. Um, Something wonderful in the Presbyterian Church, of which, obviously, I believe there are many things. (laughs) A bunch of sinners we are. But um, something wonderful in the Presbyterian Church is what we believe the Bible teaches about ordination ordination, someone becoming a pastor. When you get licensed in the denomination, which I am, it means you get to preach regularly, for better or for worse. You get to hear me more. I'm licensed to preach. Uh, And I can even marry marry people. Yet, the ordination process only happens when you receive a call to what? A living, breathing people. That's how you get ordained. That's when you start the process for ordination. So Pastor Chad was the church planter back here, or he was the church planter here. But back in May... When the members here, we voted for him to be our pastor. We were extending a call saying, we are the living, breathing people that God has called you to. And the presbytery, the presbytery which is the elders that uh, across the churches in the state, affirmed that calling. And we actually did the same thing with our three elders, with Wes Johnson, with Ryan Freilich, and with Ben Hallett. Those three definitely aren't in it for the paycheck because there is none, they know. But if you're a member here... Your pastor and your elders, you know who they are? They're the specific messengers. They're the shepherds, the under-shepherds that Jesus has chosen to rule over us. Even if they happen to be wrong at times. Now, not calling us to sin, but just simply wrong about something. We actually can be right and honor God. How? By honoring the messenger, even when they're wrong. Even when they're wrong, because God has placed them in this role. As long as they're not calling us to sin. We can call this letting the right person be wrong. It's the beauty of submission. It's letting the right person be wrong and how God orders it. So how we treat messengers is really how we treat who? God, the Lord above. The Lord sends the word we need, and he does it even through messengers we need, faulty ones, ones who don't always get it right. But we must open our ears to them intentionally and submissively. They're the messengers God has for us. So we turn our attention to our last emphasis. So the Lord, right, he speaks the word we need. He sends the the prophet the word we need. But the Lord Jesus himself is the word we need, right? The Lord Jesus is the word, the prophet we need. And we must not only believe it ourselves, but we actually must open our mouths about this Messiah, about this Jesus. Our passage today shows rejection of the message, the messenger. But again, what is really being shown is rejection of the Lord, right? 
So the most prominent roles in God's people in the Old Testament are threefold, okay? Prophets, priests, and kings. The king is to love God. The king was literally supposed to copy the law into his own personal notebook. So he'd have one for himself to read, to love the Lord. This is in Deuteronomy 17. The priests are to represent the people before God. They're facilitating forgiveness of sin so God can live among them. The prophets were the living word of God to his people, though. They were the messenger telling the message of how and what to believe, how to worship God. So if verses 10 through 17, get this, if verses 10 through 17 are teaching us anything within the scope of Amos, they're proving this. Israel deserves judgment. Why? It's because the king of Israel, Jeroboam, promoted false religion, catering to the state, the king, the priests, Another most important role, the priest sees his role only as a profession, right? He has no interest in people being near to God or vice versa. And Israel seemingly has no or just few prophets. Why do we think that? Well, God scoops up a guy, a double occupation guy in the south and sends him north and says, say these words to this people and they're not going to like it. Verse 10 through 17 prove the argument. You deserve Judgment, Israel. That's what we see here. But did you notice this? This is the first time this happens in Amos. It's Amos actually having a conversation with someone, with Amaziah, right? It's not just Amos talking about the the nations in general or just talking to Israel, but it's with this guy, Amaziah. And Amaziah, rather than caring about the relationship between God and his people, what does he do? Shh, be quiet. Don't prophesy. Don't preach this message here. Friends, Amaziah's actions not only damn himself, but he is seeking to damn the other people in this nation, the entire nation itself. This is why verse 17 has the most disturbing of judgment language, right? And, but notice this. It is specific to who? To Amaziah, other than the last line. God is saying, you thought you and your family could profit, make a living off being a priest, right? Just this profession, No, your wife will go and have to fend for herself as a harlot. Your future children, they will be gone. Your future will be gone. And you will go into exile and die there. And the people of Israel will come with you. Those people that you sought to keep deaf to my word. To have no prophet in the land and to try to silence the message, the messenger, and the one who is sending them, has a serious offense, and it is so deserving of judgment. We can actually hear the Lord's words, perhaps coming out of Ezekiel 34, what Jesus says in Matthew 9. He says, my sheep have no shepherd. They have no worthy king, no interceding priest. And without Amos, perhaps no prophet, no right messenger giving the right message at the right time. If you're familiar at all with the story of Jane Eyre, Uh, She was very much a sheep with no shepherd. Her life was a very abused one. It was oppressed, whether it was by her aunts who disliked her, a harsh boarding school for poor and orphaned girls, or whether even when she grows up and she falls in love with this well-to-do man, only to find out that he's already married to a certifiably insane woman. Jane, shortly thereafter, she becomes destitute. She's exhausted. She's starving, and she prepares her sad life for death. That's where she is. And it's at that moment that she's rescued by not all that impressive of a messenger, 
a clergyman by St. John Rivers and his sisters. And in time, Rivers figures out that Jane is the descendant of a fabulously wealthy uncle, John Eyre. Now, John Eyre had actually wished to have known Jane, but he died before he ever could. Yet, he left Jane what it would be today the equivalent of $20 million. Man, you want a wealthy uncle, don't you? But this isn't the end of Jane's story, and I won't spoil it. You can go read it, watch it. But what we see is that those who were supposed to care for Jane didn't. And she was left to the harshness of the world. Little did she know that there was a fortune beyond belief available to her. She needed the message. She needed a messenger. Even an unimpressive one, right? Rivers is not a great guy. She needed the right message and messenger. Friends, Jesus is a better king than King Jeroboam. Jesus is a better priest than Amaziah. But seemingly in Amos today, what Israel needs is what? They need a prophet. They need the right messenger who gives the right message. And we need that as well. We need to hear the word, the prophet speak. Who is that? Well, Hebrews 1 tells us that God in the past spoke in many ways through his prophets. But now, how does he speak to us? In these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, the Son who is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature. That's Jesus. Friends, the message we need, the messenger we need, it's Jesus. Jesus is both of those things. God gives us that message. How? Certainly it's in the perfect revelation of Jesus himself living, but it's contained where? It's in God's word. That's the word. And Jesus says when he speaks about the scriptures, Luke 24, he says, they all talk about me. John 5, he says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures thinking you have life in them? No, no, no. They're testifying about me. That's what the word of God is testifying to. It's Christ. But we go to the scriptures to find that. God gives us even lesser messengers who preach what? Paul says, Christ crucified. Not themselves. They preach the word of God, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the message. Jesus is the messenger. He's the one who sends it all and comes himself. What is that message? What's the message when I just say, Jesus, you need Jesus. Well, what's that message? What's he saying? He says, believe in me. In me is life. Believe in me, the prophet, so you can have life and have it to the fullest. But next to believe is also this. Go and sin no more. This is actually one message. Believe and yet go and sin no more. Repent and believe is one message. And that's actually, if we, right, we continue to look through Amos, that's the message. Repent. Believe upon the Lord. Repent. Otherwise, go into death. Life is here awaiting for you if you return to the Lord. Our New Testament reading showed it as well. Faith in his name, turning from wickedness, united. And it's what Amos has been saying to Israel in one form or another. Repent and believe and have life or die in exile away from the Lord. So beyond for us living lives of repenting and believing, repenting and believing, we must do something else. Friends, we must open our mouths. Why? Because we know the world has a word and a prophet that they need. Everyone loves the quote by St. Francis of Assisi. He says what? Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words, right? Well, guess what? <laughs> In order to preach the gospel, it's necessary to use words every time. 
means we can love people, but for the gospel to be proclaimed, we need words. That's what people need. It doesn't mean that we need to be rude in how we say things or domineering. And we, we must not be worried like little Amaziahs. Oh, these words are going to upset the nation. These words are going to set off a coup in that family or that person's life. So be it, right? doesn't mean we're rude or domineering. No, but we say life is where? It's in Jesus. So go and sin no more. Believe upon him. The Lord graciously and seriously warns Israel through Amos. And our gospel proclamation is what? It's a gracious and serious warning. Come and find life in Christ. Come and find life in Christ or don't. And find yourself in exile. To close, uh, like Jane Eyre, we could imagine her again destitute, right? The doorstep, a life weighted in sin and abuse and oppression done against her. And she's readying herself to die. That's, that's what's happening. And this, in some ways, is a picture. This is a picture of what people, where people are at without Christ. We are readying ourselves to go and be away from the Lord, trying to find things to hope in. Oh, prophet on the news channel, tell me where life is. Right? Oh, Twitter account, please give me hope today. No. Are, they are preparing themselves to go and die. They need the message, and they need to have even lesser messengers with clumsy lips and clumsy verbs and adverbs like you and me to open our mouths. So often the words we speak are better than the words we don't. We must open our mouths about Jesus. Part of our conclusion today, perhaps after Thanksgiving, because it's so fun doing it together, uh, we're going to do another one of uh, these responses back and forth. At the bottom of your worship guide in page, on page uh, 9, I think it is, you'll find uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 24. And it tells us that Christ executes the office of a prophet. So I'll read the question, and we'll answer it together. How does Christ execute the office of a prophet? Christ executes the office of a prophet in revealing to us, by his word and spirit, the will of God for our salvation. What's the message of this prophet? The will of God for our salvation. We need a prophet. We need the word, Jesus Christ. And he testifies about what? The will of God for our salvation. The word is Jesus. The prophet is Jesus. And we must open our hearts to the message within the scriptures, especially where it offends us, especially where it offends us. We must open our ears to the messenger that comes in Christ's place, especially those imperfect pastors and elders that God might give to us. And finally, we must repent and believe. We must repent and believe and then open our mouths, our clumsy mouths, with that gracious and serious warning. Because they are waiting. They're waiting to hear it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are a people who are so in need of a word. Every day we wake up looking for a word, some good news. Tell us about ourselves. Tell us about the world. Where should we hope? Is it in a new, a new package, a new phone, a new whatever it might be, God? No. The word is you, Jesus. The prophet is you, so, God, we, we choose to believe by faith. Would you give us the faith we need to trust in the prophet we need, Jesus Christ, in the word that he speaks, Jesus Christ. In your name we do pray, Jesus. Amen.